In today's episode, I'm sitting down with skincare expert and celebrity esthetician, Renee Villot, embedding her 30 plus years of hands-on experience into her highly trusted skincare brand. Renee has truly created skin solutions and I cannot wait to dive straight in. Hi everyone and welcome to Founded Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs who built some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable and Maine, a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable and Maine has been an incredible journey so far and I decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest for today, Renee Willow. She is one of Hollywood's favorite estheticians, treating everyone from the likes of Demi Lovato to Sofia Vergara. A lifelong skin enthusiast, Renee has over 30 years of hands-on experience, which has led her to her understanding that great skin does not come from a one-size-fits-all approach. Renee Willow Skincare features an extensive range of products formulated for nine different skin types to ensure real-world solutions for every skin concern. The brand celebrated its 25th anniversary in 2021, and it just goes to show both Renee's dedication to the art of skincare, but also her zeal for building her business. A self-professed thrill seeker and adventurer, Renee is a force to be reckoned with, and I'm so excited for our conversation today. So Renee, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Akash. Thank you for the lovely introduction. Oh, well, so I ask all my guests the same question. I'm going to ask you, who in a nutshell is Renee? I am age 53. I am an adventurer. I'm a motorcycle rider. I'm a widow. I'm a CEO, brand founder, esthetician, friend, daughter, stepmom for many years I was, and a lover of all things exciting and uh, kind, giving, and fun. I mean, I can really see uh, so many layers there that I think will intertwine into so many parts of the story as we go deeper in. Uh, but I do want to start at the beginning and sort of um, asking you, and you know, if you're channeling young Renee, what are some of those initial early memories of beauty growing up? So my grandmother was a hairstylist and she owned her own hair salon. So I learned you know, the art of beauty from a very young age. And I used to watch uh, my grandmother. uh, She was a really hard worker, a really funny woman. Um, Her clients loved her, but I watched, you know, her transform these women, you know, women would come in and, you know, they'd be kind of down in the dumps, having a bad day. And, you know, a 45 minute session with my grandmother, you know, they look good, they feel good, they're laughing and they walked out just feeling so much better. So I learned early on that, you know, beauty is really, you know, it's something that really can make you feel good and it's self-care and just the impact of how it can really transform someone, but emotionally, you know, really uh, give people a, a bounce in their step that they might not have had 45 minutes earlier. So that was my 
first uh, foray into the power of beauty. Well, I, I know this because I read it somewhere as well. Uh, again, when you were young, you also saw the power of beauty through your f- helping friends uh, with your skincare creations. Can you tell us about that? Well, then what happened was I then became like really obsessed with all things beauty. And I didn't even know I did this until years later, I went to a high school reunion. It was like our, I don't know, fifth high school reunion or something. And a girl said to me, she goes, I remember she goes, you were the first girl to wear makeup in the fifth grade. And she goes, and I had a sleepover party once and you were doing everyone's makeup. This was like in the fifth grade. And I didn't remember that. I was like, really? And so obviously I'm somebody that just, you know, loved it all. And in high school, I worked at a pharmacy and I spent all my paychecks on Revlon and Bonnie Bell and all the products, beauty products that were popular back then. I've just always been into beauty. I, you know, it's to me, it's a very, it's a lot of creativity, um, you know, kind of customizing your own look, right? We're all our own piece of art and how you care for yourself in every way is a, is a, an expression on how you want to show up in the world. And I just, you know, and now here a million years later, I'm, I'm still doing that. Going to beauty school, I know was a big move as well. And obviously is a big part of this whole story as well. Is that, was that always the plan? I was, I went to, I moved a lot growing up, but when I was in high school, I knew that college wasn't my path. There was, uh, the high school I graduated from was uh, outside of Boston and it's the number one ranked public school system in the whole state of Massachusetts. And it's, so it's very academic and 99% of my high school class would go to college and I was part of the 1% club, but the 1% meaning the people who didn't go to college. And that was, I remember my guidance counselor, like didn't even know what to do with me. Cause he's like, Oh, what? You don't want to go to college. And I was just wired differently. I always felt different. And while I highly believe in education, if something doesn't excite me, I just can't focus on it. And so I had a really tough time, you know, in school all growing up. And, you know, I suppose it's probably some sort of, you know, ADHD thing going on there. But back then they didn't know what it was. And um, so I knew college wasn't my path. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then it was my mom that suggested I go enroll in beauty school because she's like, Renee, you've always been into beauty. Like I've seen it. And I was like, wow, yeah, you're right. I just never knew there were, I just never thought of it. So I, uh, I actually went, I enrolled in, um, in school to become a cosmetologist. I thought I wanted to be a hairstylist like my grandmother. And ultimately I started practicing at a salon doing hair, but it just, it didn't excite me. And it was just kind of too much of the same thing, I feel like. And luckily, the salon that I worked at, they had an esthetician. They had a facial room at the salon. And I really gravitated towards the estheticians that work there. And I think because there's the science aspect, yes, you're getting hands-on, but you're, you know, your hands are on products and ingredients and you're customizing routines for your clients. And every client is different. I mean, when you cut hair, everyone's like, oh, you know, like, you know, like you, a man, right? You're like, oh, just clean it up on the side and, you know, just kind of whatever. So that's kind of like the same thing with every guy, right? Where a face, you know, or a woman's just like, oh, I just need a trim. I mean, it's nothing exciting, but 
with skin, it's, you know, you have all range of different skin concerns and all different products. And so it's very problem solving and I'm just a really good problem solver. And it just excited me a lot more. So um, I went to school then to become an esthetician. And that was over 30 years ago. So then you got your license. And I think that's when everything really started, right? With the products development and your first spa. So I'll let you explain and tell us that initial journey. And it was it 1991, I think, but you tell me how that all started back then. My mentor at that salon was an esthetician and had been an esthetician already for like 15 years. And she took me under her wing and taught me everything. And she always wanted to open up a business, but she had two young children and didn't want to do it by herself. And she said, Renee, you know, I really see a lot of opportunity with, with you and me. And she said, would you like to open up a business together? And, you know, I was literally 20 years old and I was like, sure, that sounds fun. But, you know, I had no idea anything about business. So uh, at 21 uh, is when we opened outside of Boston. And that was my first foray into being a business owner. And I also love that because I get bored easily. And so I like all aspects of running a business. So, you know, yes, I was still an esthetician, but I was also, you know, sales and marketing and, um, you know, product development. And I kind of had my hands in a lot of things. And again, fast forward all these years, you know, I'm, I still have my hands in a lot of different aspects and that just makes it super fun and exciting for me. Tell us about, I guess, the first few products and that cadence of launch into now what's a 50 plus product range. And, and for those listening, like, obviously it's just an audio. So kind of paint us that storytelling picture of what the products are. So after five years of having the business, uh, the skincare spa with my business partner, I decided I wanted a change of lifestyle. And I think the big mm. thing was I was living up in Boston and all my friends were in college and they were partying and I had a lot of responsibility. I was an entrepreneur and there was really no one around me my age that was doing that. And so I wanted to get out of the snow. And so I moved to Dallas and all by myself, I took out a, a, a loan from the bank and I had sold my half of the business. So I did get a little bit of money from that. And I started Renee Rouleau in Dallas in 1996. Um, so immediately um, upon opening is when I started creating products. And I had already been an esthetician for seven years and I learned about skin type systems. And the idea was that, you know, in school you learn about dry, normal, and oily skin types. And then there's also something called Fitzpatrick skin types. No one was really looking at the skin in a unique way. And having been an esthetician for seven years and working hands-on with clients, I realized that typical skin types um, that were out there were just too generic and that just doesn't help people find the right products. So, so I first came up with a skin type system. I believe there are nine different types of skin and they, upon those nine skin types, they address every concern under the sun, under the sun, acne, particularly, you know, acne is an interesting one because it depends on frequency, right? Somebody that, you know, is 40 years old and gets one hormonal cystic bump under their on their chin once a month is very different than a 16-year-old teenage boy that is getting acne everywhere. But with t traditional skin type systems, they're just going to put everybody into an acne routine, right? And not take anything else into consideration. So that's one example of why like the generic skin types just don't work. 
So the first product uh, I created, which to this day is still is our number one bestseller. I have 51 products now and it's called Anti-Bump Solution. And it's been my number one bestseller since day one. And we still can barely keep it in stock. It is for all forms of acne in the sense that anybody that has cystic acne, which are those hard, sore knots under the skin that men get them certainly as well. A lot of people, men get them on their back. A lot of men get back acne more so than women. You know, it's all kind of driven by hormones. And that was a product that uh, was first in my line. And then, you know, slowly just kept developing more and more products. And, but yeah, they span the nine skin types. And once you take the skin type quiz, you get a curated routine, you know, then you can drive results because you're using things that are much more specific for what your concerns are. I think the future of beauty is obviously about thinking of it from an individual perspective, like customization, and a lot of education is needed. And unfortunately, we live in this, as you know, probably with uh, all this needs and wants of marketing and influencers we have to sometimes partake in. It's hard to slow people down when it comes to taking care of their skin, their hair, and, and understand, you know, don't just believe something in two seconds, like understand what your needs are, understand what your desires are, and then, you know, learn and educate. How have you found, you know, obviously come going from where you can within a spa environment or sitting with the person, take time and find out their needs and to then eventually having a product, which is a little bit more blanket approach as we have to. How do you find that balance of like getting people to understand and slow down? So we launched e-commerce in 1999. So I started selling my products online back then. When I started my business with a skincare spa, but um, and then like I said, in 99, started e-commerce. About 1998, we did have a website. No, 1997, we had a website. Back then they were powered by the yellow pages. And that's like a whole nother story, but super funny. But I started writing skincare articles before I launched e-commerce. And so I had about two years of pushing out content on our website. And it was all about skincare education. It was taking everything out of my brain that I knew and trying to help people better understand their skin. So when we launched e-commerce in 1999, we were, I didn't know anybody else at that time. And for many years that was doing commerce and content together. Um, there were a lot of people selling products. So they were either e-com or people were media sites and putting out, you know, skincare information, but no one was doing both of them. So I was really one of the first people that, that did both of those. And I think, you know, a huge part of our success is has been the content in the way that we educate people. So I call them skincare articles, but years later we would then call it a blog once blogs kind of became popular. But basically I've been pushing out content to the interweb since 1997 and you know we're all over Google and but really I led with education first. I wanted to empower people to understand their skin and be a smarter skincare consumer. You know, fast forward to today, we still publish blog posts regularly. And I always just wanted to educate people to be a a smarter skincare consumer. And that education is more helpful than now because people are more confused than ever because there's so much content being pushed out there. And one person tells you this and another TikToker tells you this. And, you know, it's just, it's very confusing. So I'm a trusted source um, because I've, you know, I have over 30 years of being a hands-on esthetician, literally, you know, three inches away from staring down people's pores. Like I know skin and having, you know, being that trusted source for people has really been the key to our success. 
One thing I really want to go deeper, and a lot of our audience asks about this, is sort of the the realities of building a brand and and those ups and downs that we all face. I can tell you right now, I'm two years into building my brand and they're stronger than ever, all the issues that can come. What are some like mindful tips you can share with anyone thinking or currently creating a business to stay grounded that you've learned over the years? About, I don't know, six years ago, I got a tattoo on my arm and it says to serve. And I got that tattoo because as my company, you know, has grown, I never want to forget the reason why I became, why I got into this in the first place. It was to help people. I wanted people to feel more confident in their skin. And I've always had kind of a, um, a servant's heart in that way. That's why I, you know, put out all this, you know, skincare content. It was always just to help people. And so what keeps me grounded is, you know, that tattoo, I always see it because I never want to have my head get too big, which I've done a good job not doing that. But, you know, a lot of opportunities come my way and and I just want to make sure that everything I do, it's how can I best serve people? So that's that's one of the ways. Another is part of serving people is also kind of giving back and, uh, you know, helping others, you know, being an esthetician for over 30 years, I am, you know, a sought after speaker and there's estheticians that want to learn from me. So I recently just spoke at Atlanta at the Skin of Color conference. So it was to a bunch of amazing estheticians there. I created a scholarship with uh, Beauty Changes Lives, which is helping people become estheticians through the scholarship program. And so just, just helping people because at the end of the day, I think as humans, that is where we get our greatest satisfaction is when we can help others and we feel good because, you know, we did something good and then they're happy because they got something out of it and helping others and to serve has just always been my guiding force and what keeps me grounded. I think that's so powerful. I think also that there's a double-edged like um, realization of well, you, you become the beneficiary by also doing that. So it fuels us as, as, as human beings. And I think uh, it's even kind of why I, I have this podcast, right? It's as much as I'm doing my business, it's important to have other outlets of giving back, sharing knowledge, um, communicating with others, collaboration. It's very, very important. Otherwise, it can be quite a, a vortex of just like, you know, tunnel vision and you don't see the beautiful left and right in the process of building a brand. Yeah, no, I mean, being changing people's lives. I always think yeah. about like, I also think about like Santa Claus. I'm like, mm. you know, Santa Claus has the best job, you know? Yes, I'm sure his back hurts from, you know, carrying all the, you know, the presents and, you know, he's working over to them all during the holidays and he's got to go down yeah. to knees and that's, he gets dirty. But the point is, is that like, you know, I mean, he's handing gifts out to everyone and everybody's so excited to see them. I mean, I suppose that's kind of what rock stars are like too, I guess. But yeah, but just, uh, yeah, making people happy. There's nothing better than that. Uh, and also like another thing you do, which I think is really important is having your outlets for whether it's your creative flow, but generally just to enjoy life and have fun, as you said in your intro, um, is being like a, an adventurer, a, a writer. So tell us more about, a bit more about that passion because I'm really curious. So the backstory is when I was in my early 20s, I went through about a year's period where I suffered really bad panic attacks and it turned into agoraphobia. So that was like afraid of, lo- of leaving my house. Mm-hmm. I and basically it was all fear based, right? And being scared. And 
How I got myself out of that was I had to push myself to not be scared. And I didn't want to just take medication. The doctors just wanted to give me medication. And I was like, I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't want to rely on medication. Yeah. And so one of the things I was scared of going to shopping malls, and I know this all just sounds crazy, but part of the therapy that my therapist had me go through was I'd have to go to a shopping mall and I have to literally stand in the mall for two minutes and I'd be sweating and freaking out and everything. And then, but I, I made it and I'd run out of the mall and be like, oh, my heart's racing, whatever. And then she said, you know, a week later, do three minutes and then four minutes. And that's how I kind of rehabbed myself. And what I learned at that through that whole thing was you can't give into your fears. If I had just never left my house again, I mean, it's debilitating. And so I learned early on the importance of feeling uncomfortable and pushing through fears. And so certainly starting a business, you know, we're all, you know, it's, there's so much fear there. What if I lose? What if I, you know, can't pay the money back to the bank and blah, 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 blah. But I just always have challenged myself to when something feels scary, that's all the more reason to do it. And, you know, so like I mentioned, I ride a motorcycle. That's very scary. Right. And but I've ridden a motorcycle for over 20 years and I do it because it makes me feel fearless. And so I'm always challenging myself to anything that makes me feel scared I do it. So sometimes I've done, you know, cliff jumping and I've, you know, for Halloween, I went uh, zip lining at night for, you know, haunted zip lining. It was a haunted zip night. And, you know, just things that like are scary. But once you do it, I mean, there's no better rush than pushing through a yeah. fear. And so, so, yeah, a big theme of my life is the things that make you feel uncomfortable are the things that make you grow. And so anytime something feels scary, that's when I go, wow, this feels scary. That means I need to lean into this. And that's kind of just been my mantra my whole life. And, and I really relate to that from I think growing up. I was always there. Uh, many things I thought like that kind of like fake it till you make it and you end up faking it till you love it. Like you end up like doing things and you're like, hang on. You this love is it. now. Yeah, it's kind of like, I remember growing up, I used to like hate running and I said to myself, I'm going to do a marathon because that's the best way to start training and learning to love to run. And now I love running. Uh, same thing with exactly, I think I had a form of like, I definitely had like, whether it's scared of heights and all of this um, scare of like kind of, the, I think there was a fear of like dying, I think I had at one point. Yeah. Um, now I actually completely opposite, I don't even care at all which is kind of crazy because I've immune myself by doing a lot I've done skydiving and and cliff jumping as you said and diving without even a paddy license you shouldn't do better but the point is is I've done I've done a lot and yeah you, you exactly you fake it till you love it it's kind of like my mantra in the back as well so I really relate to that and I think we will always be able to surprise ourselves we don't know ourselves until we try right yeah. I think that's yeah. very important yeah. I, I asked that question because it does tether to the business as well because some of the fears we have in our personal life or to generally as our characteristics, we often can translate that into business, not taking leaps, risks and, you know, how we think of things. And I think you have to have the same mentality of how you look at things that are often daunting or that fear of failing. I think it's so imperative to mindset shift that when you create a business and you continue to build a business because it only can be against you unless you, you use it as your advantage, right? Um, because it's it's tough, especially today. I mean, you've seen a lot of change in the industry. I'm seeing in the last two years, right? I'm already like, wait, one year I was like, influencers, invest everything in there. And now I'm like, hang on, stop. What are we doing? Uh, 
what is the do I give all my power to the Gen Zs or not like all of this stuff yeah. is it's changing every minute let alone every year so yeah you've got to you've got to keep on being open to change and trying new things absolutely oh that's great I love that get out of your comfort zone as well it's amazing exactly no and uh, luckily I, I I I now really feel this as a as a part of my being and in, in every in, in every but again it's a journey there's other things I've got to start doing that too right um for example my love life I'm still single my whole life I need to start getting out of my comfort zone and go out more so there's things we've got to work on and I think that's uh I think you can do it step by step it's a journey so I think it's very important um so before I go into sort of like um fire round questions and I know you have a business to run I don't leave you too too long uh, I just want to know a little bit about the future of Renee Willow Skincare and what you envision in the next couple of years yeah um it's an exciting time because I'm thinking bigger in a way that I haven't done before you know I started Renee Rouleau at age 26 and I you know as every founder does they wear every hat and they do everything and I worked really hard for so many years um I brought my husband into the company 12 years in and he became my COO and because I needed to delegate and farm out some work and we continue to grow. He, he was, he grew up kind of in the foster system. He was French and he always had a kind of a fearful mentality when it came to money. We always reinvested in the company, but he was always really, yeah, fearful about growth because he always had this mentality like we were going to be broke all the time. And I think and I'd always like beg him, like, cause you know, he handled all the finances and I wanted to hire more. And, you know, I, I had, I had, I was hungry to grow and, and I was super ambitious, but he just always felt like that felt scary to spend. As a result, you know, our company was very profitable because we ran it very lean and all of that. So four years ago, he passed away from a short six-month battle with cancer. One of the things that he shared with me was he knew that he had held me back. And he said, Renee, you've been a tiger in a cage that I've kept trapped. It's time to let you out. And he knew that, you know, we had the potential for being a much bigger company. And I wasn't really being in my full creative, visionary, you know, uh, seat. Um, I was still doing a lot of things for the company. So I think, you know, when he passed away, you know, certainly going through a lot of grief and then also just kind of starting a new life. I, we had relocated our company to Austin three years earlier and we worked all the time and I didn't know anyone. And so the past four years was really about creating a new life. We were together 22 years and now I'm single and a widow and I didn't really know anyone in Austin. And so um, the past couple of years were really focused a little bit less on work. I, I hired a new COO. And the main thing that I told him was, get me in the visionary seat, like let me create. And so we've worked really hard to do that. And now, and then, you know, the pandemic, and we did very well during the pandemic. But now 2023 is really about me really embracing the visionary seat and thinking a lot bigger in a way that I haven't done before. So I feel very hungry, very excited. I mean, we just have so much opportunity. Our company has always grown and we continue to grow. 
I'm just thinking bigger. So we're exploring some options that I never thought I would do, but now I'm, I'm just kind of ready. And I think, you know, I've, I've put in the work and now it's time to, to really have it work for me even better. So it's exciting. So, yeah, so we have a lot of new products in the works, um, exploring some collaborations, um, just, yeah, I mean, it's, I have what I call the idea bank and every time I have an idea and, you know, as you probably know, the best ideas are in the shower, you know, and constantly thinking. And so I have no shortage of ideas, but now we're ready to kind of um, move some of those forward. So it's, uh, it's, an, it's, it's an exciting time. As an outsider in, as a newcomer now into the business, uh, you know, I've done a lot of research about your brand and you can really see what separates it from, I'm, I've spoken to about 250 brands, okay, and so I've seen a lot of brands in my time of researching. And uh, what I really saw was the love nurture that often takes time, but also not sacrificing certain things for growth and right. retailers. So in a way, I think while you make that tiger in a cage analogy, I think it's something that will eventually be one of the really rare recipes to make a timeless brand today that will last beyond your lifetime. I could really see that when I saw everything, all the love, nurture, the efficacy, the reviews, you know, that things, those things take time. And there's a lot of businesses out there that are going to grow faster than you in two, three years and be bought by a conglomerate. But <laughs> will it be timeless? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really felt that. I'm not just saying that. Like, I really felt that when I did all my research. But yeah, and I, I appreciate that. Thank you so so much for saying that, Akash. I, uh, I think where it's unique is, you know, when my mom gave birth to me, I came out of the womb and they handed, you know, her a piece of paper called a birth certificate and it had my company mm-hmm. name on it, right? Renee Rouleau. When you make the decision to name your company your name, your name, like you take that very seriously. I mean, there's certainly a lot of brand founders that no longer own their own name, and oh god, and I've had many on the podcast, and yes, it's, yes. they and trust me, they they even say, "Don't, I'm no longer that." They kind of even dispose of that name, which is quite sad, right? Yeah, it's, no, for, they don't want to be associated with it. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, I've I've watched those stories, and so I'm very strategic with any decision that I ever say yes to, I still want to do it my way. I still, you know, have the philosophy that I'll never sell my soul for the almighty dollar. And I think the biggest thing that I'm most proud of is that I own hundred percent of my company. So I've never taken outside investment. I bootstrapped, I went to the bank. I don't, I'm, I don't have any debt, but I own hundred percent. And that allows me to I can do whatever I want. And, mm-hmm. and that, you know, a lot of people are forced to make decisions that they don't want to do, but because, you know, they have investors and there's pressure and that sort of thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when my husband passed away, he, he said three things. One is, did my life matter? Did I make a difference? And will I be remembered? That's just so important, right? It's, it's, it's about how you make people feel and how, how you'll be remembered. And, I want to always, again, you know, as I mentioned, be a place where I'm serving others and helping others and, and doing the right thing. And because I own 100% of my company, um, I can do that. And it's very exciting. Table and Main is 100% still owned by me and my sister. And I think that's where today there's a lot of people who speak to me and say, oh, you're so lucky you can, self-fund, you can be self-funded. And I'm like, yes, I am. But also, like, everyone in some ways can. It's not like we have to rush to get crazy VC backing and 
and grow so quickly. You know, I think in 10, 20 years, there'll still be beauty brands, beauty products. So focus on doing things, the journey that you wish to create. If you want to raise money, raise money. Yeah. If you want to grow small and start on an Etsy store and grow, I've had founders that have done that. So I think it's really about just understanding what kind of business do you want. And I think we need to put a bit more value in, in self-funding businesses today because, um, uh, and, and in holding that accountable against the, the stakeholders. So like I, I recently went to Sephora and I kind of like was like, pause, you guys are giving me anxiety and I need to like tell you like, I'm not going to grow a thousand four hundred percent. I don't want to grow a thousand four hundred percent. So stop telling me what those brands are doing because I want to do it my way, my brand, my story. It's my grandma's rituals. This is we're the first Ayurvedic brand in Sephora and we're the only one right now. So please let me, um, you know, do it the way I think is right. Yeah. And I'm not doing anything new. This is a 4,000 year old tradition right. I'm bringing into yeah. the world. So that, that wasn't rushed. I don't want to rush this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so true. It's so true. But again, it's because I have the luxury of being self-funded and no investors to, to count for that probably do want that quick revenue. So yeah, there's some pros and cons to it. All. Yeah. Have, have you ever, um, Akash, have you ever heard of Noam Wasserman? No, I haven't. So, Noam, uh, so it's N-O-A-M Wasserman, and he wrote this thing for Harvard uh, Business Review, but it's called um, something about- oh, The Founder's uh, Dilemma as well. I, I actually have his book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. realize it's him. Oh. Yeah, so it's great. It's the decision to be rich or king, and or in my case, queen. But um, but I think it's that's you know the biggest mistake that people make is- they say yes to opportunities without really understanding the consequence, right? Every decision we make has a consequence, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, opportunities, there's a million opportunities and they're all super exciting, but doesn't mean it's the right one. So I have 13 questions that I ask myself every time an opportunity comes my way because I want to make sure that I'm really thinking things through. So I would say 99% of the time when I run through those 13 questions, the, the answer is no to the opportunity because it doesn't match the test. But yeah, people just, you know, once you sign on the dotted line and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, well, I didn't really realize it was going to be like this. And then they can't get out because they've already committed to that. So I think that's the biggest mistake I people, you know, I see people make is they're hungry. And when you start up, you're just saying yes to anything. And yes, you want to be open-minded, but you just have to be very strategic and sometimes you have to be patient and wait for a better opportunity versus just grabbing the one that's right in front of you. I agree. I always liken it to like going to like an all you can eat buffet, right? You never feel good the next day if you don't, if you just eat everything and you get crazy. You've got to be strategic, you know, you've got to be smart, what you eat, what you... It's, it's true. And I think that's exactly that. And sometimes asking yourself, pausing and being like, hang on, okay, what? Like the questions could be, what did I eat this morning? What did I eat this afternoon? Have I been to the gym? Da, da, da. And then you start realizing, okay, I'm only going to go for that. You know, yeah. that's the reality. You've got yeah. to, you've got to limit. Um, so I love that. Well, before, before we go into fire round, um, I do have a desert island situation. So this is sort of, um, you can imagine you're invited to a founded beauty retreat, but you can only bring, unfortunately, and being very mean, one Renee Rouleau skincare product. What is your go-to? I mean, I'm not going to say sunscreen because that's just the obvious. So yeah, that's obvious. But something more exciting. I would probably um, use a vitamin C serum. Um, we have a product. It's one of our best sellers called vitamin C and E treatment. It's really good for 
hyperpigmentation, discoloration. So if I'm on an island, there's no doubt, even if I'm in the shade, uh, heat brings on pigment. And so um, I just would want to keep my skin kind of more even toned. And so I would probably bring that product. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, and I love it, the fact that on your website, on it now, you have like, it's great for these skin types. And then in the reviews, you have the skin type. Like this is so cool that you really like created this whole new category of like, yeah, like customization. It's amazing. I love yeah. It. Uh, very nice. Um, well, I mean, I'll put the link anyway in the summary so people can search the website. But for now, I'm going to go into fire round questions. This is first thing that comes to your mind. So the first question is, what's another beauty brand that you're currently loving right now? Um, a makeup line called Neen, N-E-E-N. It was founded by uh, Janine Lobel, who used to... Oh, I love Janine. And she started a makeup line, and I just think... How did I not know this? When did it launch? I don't know. I want to say in the past year, maybe a little longer. Mm. But it's a, it's a really cool concept, and I mean, she can do no wrong in my eyes. She certainly did great with Stila, but yeah. uh, I think what they're doing is really cool with makeup. Love that. My next question is, what's a guilty pleasure of yours? I mean, chocolate chip cookies and ice cream. Um, there's probably not a day yeah. that goes by that one of those isn't in my mouth. And <laughs> I, I, just, I mean, I don't feel guilty, but I sure do love it. In, in moderation, <laughs> but needed, essentially. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> what are you currently watching or reading? Um, I just finished, long overdue, but I finished listening to the audio book, uh, Leonard Lauder. Yeah. He wrote The, the Company I Keep. Yeah. And I didn't really know much about the Estee Lauder story, but I really was inspired by that. And, you know, certainly this woman named Estee Lauder, who was a hustler and a brand founder, and I related a lot to the stories that he shared about her. Oh, I, I actually, um, I, I've, I've read a bit of the book and then I, I need to actually finish, finish it. But a lot of people have actually in the podcast mentioned quotes that have really inspired them through that, through him. Yeah. So leads me to my next question, which is, do you have a favorite quote or like a saying that's close to your chest? Probably there's a million of them, but one of them that comes to mind is um, it's easier to fix leaks in the hose than it is to get more water. Mm. And I think that, you know, everybody's searching for new customers, new customers, but really focus on the ones that are with you, already love you. And so it's all about like we do a lot of surprise and delight and we really kind of cater to our existing Customer base, yes, we want new customers, but make them adore you even more and they'll tell their friends because word of mouth is certainly how we built our company and and really any company, I suppose it's all word of mouth. So, you know, making sure that you're really paying attention to your current base of customers and then also kind of internal, right? Everyone's seeking out opportunities for more revenue, but if you've got leaks in your hoses and you're you know, too much money in, in inventory and your costs are too high and you're not focusing yeah. on keeping... Or your, or your team's not happy. I mean, there's yeah. so many things All to look the- inwards as well. Exactly. It's so powerful. Exactly. I love that. I actually am going to start... I'll, 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 I'll credit you, but I'm going to start thinking about that and using that in the team because that's a very, uh, very mindful way of looking at things in so many different areas, right? It's actually so diverse. Right. How can we be better? It's about always yeah. better. And actually having that mindset, every time I even hear someone in the team saying, we've got to do this, I'm like, okay, but first, how do we fix that? Yeah. You know, like uh, before we go deeper. I'm actually thinking now, customer service, you mentioned that and I'm like, oh my God, that's something that like, I just had a meeting today about like getting a whole new 
array of customer lead generation. I'm like, but I just also am seeing a lot of issues with customers complaining recently because of Black Friday and, you know, right. and, and, you know, one of my Gen Z employees is like, oh, but it's a Karen, just ignore the Karens. I'm like, no, not at all. Like, this is the wrong mentality. It's a very easy Gen Z thing to be like, just ignore them. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they're the ones to nurture even more, you know, yes. that every customer is important and you've got to, you got to think about that. It's something I need to work on, actually. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, very good. love on your customers. They are they are your, you know, everybody pays influencers. Your customers are your influencers. They are your brand yeah, ambassadors. Exactly, it's the and, biggest. And they're the ones that are going to decide if you have a brand in in a year or two or not. Exactly. So I think my last question before I leave you is, if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur currently, what would Renee be doing? I would probably be a publicist. When I love something, I shout it from the rooftops. I'm also a good storyteller as well. And when I worked at that first salon doing hair back in the day, you know, I used to sell a lot of products and I'm pretty persuasive and, you know, but I'm passionate about something. And I think that doing someone's PR for a brand is probably what I would do. That's awesome. Well, Renee, it's been such an honor and pleasure to speak to you. And you've taught me a lot, which is why I do this, because I leave now uh, more learned and more motivated. So uh, I appreciate you. Uh, But where can everyone follow and continue to see more about you, the brand? Yes. So um, I highly encourage if people want to become a smarter skincare consumer that they sign up for our emails and SMS as well. But we, uh, you know, we really push out our content more so really than products because we really want to educate first. And so if anybody wants to learn more about how to care for their skin, we are definitely the place to go. And uh, they can find that at ReneeRillo.com. On Instagram, I have my own personal Instagram and then I have the company. My company is, you know, all the company things, products and all of that. And a lot of times behind the scenes of our company here in Austin. But then my personal is, you know, behind the scenes of a brand founder and just how I live my life and adventures and travel. And it's just more of a intimate peek into the world of Rene Rillo. Well, I'll put all the links in the summary bio so people can just tap straight away. And uh, I encourage everyone to take the quiz on the website, learn your skin type and discover um, there's an array of products out there, but uh, I think you'll, you'll find the website is so informative that you'll be able to find the best one for you. And of course, I'm sure you can also see on Renee's socials as well. So. Thank you so much, Renee, for being with us and and just sharing your journey. Yeah, thank you. And you keep up the great work too, one foot in front of the other and just, you know, it's it's a beautiful industry that we're in and we're making people look good and feel better. And just the goal is to try to shout it from the rooftops as loud as you can. Exactly. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Founded Beauty as much as I had making it. And if you did, please share it with a friend who you think will love it too. Founded Beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music Podcasts, the Acast app, and many more. And I'm also very proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. So be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop. We really appreciate every single follow, listen, share, and review. It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. So as a little thank you, I will be hosting a giveaway each week on my Instagram channel at meta underscore a, where you can win some amazing Fable and Main goodies. 
All you have to do is follow me, check out my stories and all will be revealed. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founded Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops.